Hey there, everybody. Welcome back once again to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris Richards, LICSW and CST. That's Licensed Independent Clinical Social Worker and Certified Sex Therapist. Here to talk all about sexuality and intimacy and relationships, uh, being your sex positive sex therapist. And I'm here with my wonderful producer again, as always, Vicki. How are you, Vicki? Hello, I'm doing well. <laughs> oh, good. Good, good, good. Good for you. Um, yeah, so just quickly to state the mission of sex and couples therapy, it's to help individuals, couples, and families embrace and integrate sex positive thinking into daily life for optimal health, including sexual health and wellness. We go for annual mammograms, gynecological exams, and prostate exams for physical sexual health. I think we owe it to ourselves to check up on the emotional and mental aspects of sexual health so that we can have optimal health and wellness. Isn't that lovely? It is lovely, and it's so true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, sexuality is part of being human, and we avoid talking about it. So I think talking about it's really important to just developing all of ourselves. Because the more you talk about it, the more you can... Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) No, please. The more you talk about it, the more... The more you talk about it, the more you can get what you want out of all of your aspects of life. Because if you can talk about sex, right, you can talk about anything. You got it. (laughs) She's got it. I love it. Yeah, that's great. That's so true. We can have really challenging conversations, you know. And and accept, you know, we can accept, you know, we're doing this part two today, right, on intimacy, communication, sex, and trust. It's all connected. So part of that is just, excuse me, part of that is accepting, you know, differences of opinions about things and holding the tension, you know, tolerating the differences. Hopefully the people that we surround ourselves with Um, We have enough that we share in common. We enjoy enough of the same things. We have enough of a a sort of a relational history or we have enough in common and, and again, things we enjoy. Um, But we're definitely going to have differences in friendships, in relationships, in sexuality and intimacy. Um, And to make things just less of a big deal. You know, we are meaning-making creatures, right? We we make things mean things that they don't really need to mean. Uh, yeah. I just heard one the other day. You know, if my if my partner loved me, uh, my partner would um, swallow. Would swallow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say that one more. Did you say what I think you? Said? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so actually, the 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 female partner said, "My partner says um, if I." If I loved him, I would I would swallow when we have oral. Mm. And she said, you know, I, I'm sort of not into it, but I'm trying. Um, and so, you know, we talked about that. So part of the work together is around the meaning that we make, right? And separating out um, what's sort of true and accurate and what's not. You know, we make assumptions, right? Um, we think our partners can read our minds. You know, these are things that get couples in trouble. Um, so 
that was a, a session uh, alone um, with one partner. So, you know, part of the work is coming back together and checking in and, and seeing what's true and seeing how we can shift how we think about things. And we're going to talk today about uh, differentiation and how as we grow in relationship, we begin to really think differently. We, we begin to think in a way that's much more helpful for the team, so to speak, of a couple, right? We talked about attachment last time. We talked about, um, you know, Mary Ainsworth uh, in 1970. Again, I'll just go back quickly, identified these attachment styles. You know, one is secure attachment. This is as children and teenagers, you know, in, in our growing up years, we have uh, either secure attachment or insecure attachments with our early caregivers. Um, right. Secure attachment is great, you know, when we have that, terrific, that we might have that with one parent and maybe not another. Um, but under insecure attachment, there's a few different kinds, you know, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, ambivalent attachment. Um, and really what I want to say about that is that um, she concluded, Mary Ainsworth, she did some work with John Bowlby, um, there's research that attachment with either parent can undergird either a, a more secure attachment that helps us more quickly resolve relational problems, right? Or B, with less secure attachments, it leads to getting stuck in relational problems. So there's nothing we can do about the past. However, what's beautiful about couples therapy and families coming in, couples coming in, and couples are families, right? And sort of learning how to resolve these problems, we get unstuck and we begin to, to change how we attach in the present. That's what's so wonderful, right? So, what you know, what do what do we? How does that happen? We, I'm working with folks on learning how to differentiate, learning how to get more in touch with their own integrity about what they need for themselves. You know, listening more to one's partner. Um, we talked about a few cases last time, and we'll we'll focus on them again too, if that's okay. Um, we talked about anxious Angie and desiring Denny, right? So anxious Angie is sort of what I would call a, a withdrawer around intimacy. Um, and this isn't just related to sex, right? It's related to intimacy in the entire relationship, meaning connecting and communicating and all of all of that. And I want to help people sort of reframe what is intimacy. It doesn't have, it's not just about penis and vagina, right? Or, or, you know, toy and vagina, or, you know, um, penis and anus. It's really about um, connecting and feeling closer ultimately to one's partner. I mean, is sex part of that? Sure. Is touch part of that? Sure. But there's so much more, right? Yeah, she's she's shaking her head there. Yeah. Shaking my head emphatically. <laughs> emphatically. Thank you. Thank you, Vicki. Um, so, you know, in the case of like a anxious Angie and desiring Denny, you know, she's the withdrawer. He's the pursuer. You know, he sort of... Um, and this, these couples are emblematic of so many couples I see, right? So he is sort of, the, his only sex ed was porn. Um, she got lots of messages from her, you know, family's faith, family of origin, religion, around, you know, sex being sort of dirty and shameful. And um, one story I heard a client tell was about how when she decided that she needed to go on birth control, she was shamed by her family for it. You know, because it was a very religious family and they didn't believe in that. Um, and now she's, you know, in her, what, 30s um, and just sort of struggling with, oh, you know, all the emotions that came along with that. And she's growing, you know, she's growing into who she is now today. Um, Mid-30s is such a wonderful time for women. They really grow and change. I know for me, you know, 35 was kind of the beginning of really coming into myself. 
um, coming into my own, you know, feeling much better about the way that I thought and, and, and really my own beliefs and core beliefs and all that. Um, but that's not the case for everybody. Some people it's younger, some people it's older, and that's all, that's all good. Um, so other couples, um, examples, pursuing Polly, right? So, so Polly's into it. She's sort of the pursuer. Uh, William, her partner, is the withdrawer. I think about uh, cases like this where um, sometimes when men experience ED or erectile dysfunction, this can happen from, in this case, let's say, of withdrawing William uh, or Willie. Um, he just one time, you know, lost his erection, and now he's sort of off his game, if you will. Because what happens with, with men or penis owners is if they are off their game once, then what happens is the next time they're worried they're going to be off their game again. Right? And so what, what's, the, what's the answer to this is, first of all, normalizing it for people. It happens. I mean, you know, this is life. And then helping the partner understand that this happens. And there's nothing wrong. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, you know, you want to go get checked out by the doctor, make sure your testosterone's fine, and, you know, go to your, your urologist and make sure everything's within normal range. Um, and if so, you know, don't worry about it. You know, men, uh, you know, they, they have anxiety. Uh, penis owners have anxiety. Um, and so we want to just, the more accepting we can be of these things that just occur, uh, the better. Because then it just takes the pressure off, right? Performance anxiety is a big part of what I work on with people. Um, you know, w uh, premature ejaculation. It's a, the other side of the same coin in a way where um, that can really become a big deal for people. They feel ashamed, right? They, t they come in and they say, we have this discrepancy in desire and, you know, I'm having an orgasm before she is and she's disappointed. So the work is on just sort of slowing things down. You know, I'm a bit of a coach at times, educating people, helping them understand how normal this is and how to work through it. The stop-start method, um, you know, the penis owner in the, in the coupling, you know, being more sort of gentle with himself um, and working on, let's say, stop, start alone, and then coming together with his partner and working through it together. And there's lots of steps to, to go through it, but it really works. I mean, I just, I get so excited when I see couples have a good outcome. So it's, it's very exciting stuff um, because then they end up feeling closer. No, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you. Right, right. Um, yeah, so, and the problem with porn, as I started to talk, talk about last time, I'm not anti-porn, but one of the problems with porn is that um, it focuses on body parts, and it doesn't focus on, as Dr. Ruth would say, the most important six inches, right? <laughs> Which is between our ears. Yeah. Right? You know, the meeting of the minds, the feeling seen, the feeling heard. This is what I hear from people all the time. You know, you see me, you get me. This is the thing. Yeah, that's yeah. What's so beautiful. And that actually relates back to attachment, right? If we had anything less than completely secure attachment, which I did, lots of us did, um, when you're finally seen and heard, you feel accepted, you know, and that's security. Um, when your partner finally says, listen, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to stay no matter what. I mean, this is like, hallelujah. That's what I... That's what I live for when I see that happen in front of me. It's so great with couples. Um, and then uh, Avoidant Allie and Lusty Laura, we started to talk about last time, where finally when, when Allie, who was avoiding intimacy, kind of got, this was such a beautiful moment, she got that her, her partner, Laura, uh, was really just wanting 
to be connected to her. Uh, you know, there's that, that book, what's the book, uh, Love Languages, um, that Laura's love language was physical touch. And when Allie got that her gift of that to Laura was so meaningful, this changed the game. Mm. And a lot of times what is required is just planning ahead, is just intentionally, like I have a couple that are doing great. Wednesday nights is their night. They have children, and they make Wednesday night their night no matter what. It never changes. And they, they're just after, I don't know, something like 10, 11 visits, they're in a, a whole new place together. That's amazing. So, yeah, it's really, really cool what happens. Um, so let's see. Ways that we begin to think when we are more sort of grown up in the relationship is that we begin to be able to, again, hold the tension that occurs and manage it um, in a way where we, we're really having strong communication. So um, this is from uh, the developmental model. I mentioned this last time, Ellen Bader and Peter Pearson at the Couples Institute in California, uh, based on a lot of the work of Murray Bowen and, and Sal Mnuchin and all these wonderful folks who came, you know, decades and decades ago. Um, so um, when we're be in the beginning, actually, let me go back for a second. In the beginning, when we're less differentiated or less mature in the relationship, we're thinking things like, or we are in um, the, how do I say this? We are being in the following ways. For example, I never think about what my partner's experiencing, right? We may not admit that or say that out loud, but we're not thinking about what our partner's experiencing, right? It's sort of like baby-like or childlike or adolescent-like. Um, uh, let's see. I assume I know what my partner wants based on what I want. You know, this is a not a not a good assumption for relational success, right? Um, another way that we can be in the relationship when we're less mature or less differentiated is I spend most of my time focused on what I want and not getting what I want, right? As we begin to move forward and begin to differentiate and grow, we begin to adopt the following ways of thinking, um, where we become more curious about our partner's perspective and we ask questions, right? Very important. And, and actually what this means is that we're being more flexible. You know, that's an important distinction, being rigid versus being flexible. Um, so getting curious, right? I always say this, curious, not furious about your partner's perspective. Um, and, and let me go back for a second. When we're less differentiated, we tend to get easily distressed by how different our partners are from us, right? So take, take Allie and Laura again. My mind goes back to that, that couple. Um, Mm, I think Allie was distressed, Allie being avoidant, by how different Laura was, that Laura was really wanting a lot of sexual connection and intimacy that was distressing for Allie. But once she got that Laura, this was her way of connecting, and she's just different, um, things changed. You know, uh, because we, we talked about, well, what, what were you expecting? You know, when you make an agreement with your partner, you know, you're getting married or you're committing your relationship or you're committing yourself in this partnership. Um, not that, not that it's an obligation necessarily to say yes every time to sex, but if you're always saying no, it leaves the higher desire partner feeling disconnected and lonely and isolated. Right. And that's not relationally a good idea. It's not productive, right? It's not constructive. Um, so you don't have to plan what's going to happen during the sex. All you have to plan is that you're going to get together. 
you're going to have a Wednesday night date or a Saturday date, right? And then, you know, you see. And as I always say, everybody's responsible for their own orgasm. So um, don't worry about every step of the way, right? Like walking into the restaurant. Don't worry about how they're going to bring the food over. You know, don't worry about how your partner's going to chew the food or, or uh, you know, um, whether they're going to have the certain dish you want. You might really want that. But if you don't get it, I mean, I suppose you could leave the restaurant, but, you know, you're probably more likely going to want to just pick another dish, right? So if we can be flexible and understanding and accepting, all of this leads us to being more differentiated, which is the following ways of thinking. I can manage my reactivity and stay calm and listen to my partner. Uh, I can ask for a timeout if I need to calm down and then continue the discussion once I have calmed down, right? Rather than leaving the room or attacking or criticizing or blaming, right? These are these John Gottman ideas, um, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? That stuff doesn't work when we criticize, attack, shut down, blame. We really need to be flexible, stay curious while, and it's a balancing act, while we are also, um, I want to say this, very familiar with what we need and want, right? So what does that mean? That means you have to listen to your partner. And as you're listening, you don't have to like what they're saying. You don't have to agree with what they're saying. But if you want a good relationship, you really must listen. And you must hear them and sort of see them. Listen to Other ways understand. of thinking. Say that again, Vicki. Listen to understand, not to respond. Thank you. Yeah. Or react, right? That was what we were always when we were growing up. It was, nope, you listen to understand. You don't listen to respond. You don't listen to react. So you listen to understand. Yeah, and that reminds me, you know, something my my husband always says is he goes, you know, with some people there's waiting, there's there's talking and waiting, mm. right? So you don't want to be waiting, right, to just say your piece. You really, like you said, want to be listening to understand. That's yeah. right. That's right. And again, that may not be your experience, what your partner's experiencing, but you really want to get to know them. And this, this is the thing that keeps the relationship growing. If you if you can understand to use your word that you're always going to be getting to know your partner that keeps you interested right if both people are growing um and we grow i mean we sort of can't help it um we change you know we stuff happens in life so yeah that's nice the way you said that um and i i work with couples uh where there's a distinction between responding and reacting to you know, I ask people, you know, I just had a very serious uh, session last night with a couple where one of them is, is really thinking about leaving the faith that they're both in. Mm. And so I asked uh, one partner to really make sure to listen, don't react. Um, you don't have to like it. You don't have to agree, but you have to listen if you want to stay together. And um, he did a great job. And I also had them make an agreement that there was not going to be any kind of uh, consequence later after the session. Mm. So nobody mm -hmm. could come to anybody later and say, you know, you blah, 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 you know, because you have to create safety. I mean, you can talk about it, and I want people to talk about it, but no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of there's going to be no penance to pay later for having spoken your mind. Yeah. Yeah. 
And if you do it, you know, we talked about that. Okay, what if your partner slips and gets upset or reactive? You know, you're going to identify it. You're going to name it um, as the person who's experiencing your partner reacting. And you're going to say, look, you just broke the agreement. You need to apologize. I would like an apology right now. I mean, you could do 20 bucks or 50 bucks, but I think the apology, <laughs> I need 50 bucks right now. <laughs> you know, put 20 bucks in the jar, right? You messed up. Yeah. Uh, but I think the apology is much more uh, useful because, for example, on the when we get higher up and we're more differentiated, for example, what we're doing is noticing when we've hurt our partner and repair quickly. So, and I'm sorry, really quickly, a heartfelt one, a genuine one is very healing. This is repair is really important. Like there's three stages I talk about with folks containing whatever happened, the injury, right, or the mess up, repairing with an apology. So what's containment? You know, let's take a second. Let's slow this down for a second. You know, let's contain, right? Or if there's an affair, the affair has to stop. We have to contain the injury or the, if the boat is sinking, right, the ship is sinking, you've got to sort of get the water out. You get the bucket, pull out the water and then repair the hole, um, and then the third part of it is autonomous change. It's, it's work for each person. You know, one person doing the repair and apologizing, the other person believing and accepting, um, and also speaking their mind, speaking their truth, being authentic. Um, so on the highest levels of being differentiated, and it doesn't mean that once you reach it, you're there constantly. Sometimes we slip, you know, we relapse, we regress, and we go back to, to earlier ways of being. Um, but for example, taking actions that I know will help my partner feel more loved, appreciated, and valued, right? So doing stuff when it's inconvenient, right? Um, my partner doesn't have time to go get their oil changed. Let me just ask them if they'd like me to do that for them, right? That's nice. That's cool. Um, or I don't really want to go over to my in-laws, but I will do it because it's something that makes my partner happy. Um, and lastly, I am genuinely interested in learning from my partner's experience in order to be a better team player. And ultimately, this creates secure attachment, right? So circling back to the beginning, this makes couples in the moment, in the present, uh, closer and happier and more secure. And you want to be able to really, if, if you want to lower anxiety completely, say to your partner, look, I'm here, I'm in it for the long haul. Meaningful endurance, as David Schnark talks about. You know, how, how do we differentiate? We, we have to sort of calm ourselves, right? I, I want to pull this out quickly. I know we're, we're wrapping up here, but how to raise your level of differentiation. Schnark talks about maintaining this flexible and solid sense of self, right? Know yourself. Be connected to who you are. Know your strengths. Know your weaknesses. You know, own your, <laughs> own your shit. Uh, stop suppressing, denying, or dissociating parts of yourself that you don't like. Be familiar and comfortable with your different self-states, right? We have parts of ourselves. Some, some of them are stronger than others. Um, number two, remain grounded when responding back to you, right? Rather than reacting. Um, number three, keeping a quiet mind and a calm heart. And eventually just all of, so what does that mean? That's self-soothing, right? That's regulating our emotions. That's being really aware. I heard a great story from a couple, uh, many, many people tell me about how they're, they're very intentional when they walk in the house. Maybe they take a few minutes in the car, to breathe and listen to a tune on the radio before they walk in. So soothe yourself or take care of yourself so you can be better in the relationship so that ultimately you have this meaningful endurance. 
So this is, you know, attachment combined with differentiation and how all of that for our, all these lovely folks like Anxious Angie and Desiring Denny and Pursuing Polly and Withdrawing Willie and Avoidant Allie and Lusty Laura, how they've all gotten really good outcomes from all of this work. And it's not easy. It's, it, it requires effort, but it's worth it. All right. So we're good on time? We're, are we done? I think so. We are good. All righty. I saw the high five, right? Yep. So thank you so much. <laughs> Vicki, for being here with me uh, today, talking about how it's all connected, you know, intimacy, communication, sex, and trust. Um, folks, thank you so much for showing up and listening in. If you'd like to call the office, feel free, uh, 508-990-9909. Uh, let's see, on Facebook, you can find me on uh, the Sex and Couples Therapist, on Instagram at the Happy Ending Therapist. The website is www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. And please remember to always make at least some time for pleasure and play and passion. All right, we'll catch you next time. Thanks.